going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right. It is the Going Deep podcast with me, Donovan Bennett, and I am in my bag right now. It is time to celebrate. Time to go to parties, evidently. So my voice isn't the best. That is why. But guess what? That's okay. Because it is Black History Month. We are celebrating for all 28 days. It's also has been All-Star Weekend here in Toronto. And I love how those two worlds collided in a real big way. I'm sure you saw because did crazy numbers on social, but the Toronto Maple Leafs, iconic brand, and two black guys, an iconic brand, not just in Canada, but worldwide, came together for a capsule collection. I'm sure you've seen a bunch of the collabs, whether it's the OVO All-Star collab, the Drew House All-Star collab in jerseys, but this one to me gets top billing. It's the first of its kind collaboration that debuted via Mitchell and Ness, who's brought in the throwback game in the 90s vintage game to All-Star. They had a pop-up throughout All-Star weekend, and you can get that apparel via real sports apparel. But this specific collection is the No Apologies collection. It was created to honor and celebrate the contributions and the history of past and present black players on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And growing up, my favorite hockey player generally was whoever the black guy was on the Leafs during that time. So it was Grant Fewer for my formative years. You know, now for many kids that was Wayne Simmons most recently or Ryan Reeves or Mark Fraser before that. Mark Fraser is still a big part of the organization. He's in a director role, making sure that the sport continues to be inclusive and diverse. And, if you ask me, let me tell you. He's also bringing some swag to the organization, but much-needed experience, both as a former player, but as a current black man and former black player in the league. That's why, to me, this collab hit the mark, but I know something like this is not easy. So I wanted to figure out how it came to be and maybe more importantly, why it's so badly needed and what impact could have other than Leafs fans just looking real, real clean when they pull up to the arena. So I pulled up to Throne Barbershop, which was a hub for all things All-Star this weekend, and talked to Mark Fraser about the collab. Mark, doggy, uh, look at this space. Look at the collab. Mitchell Ness, two black guys, Maple Leafs, iconic brands, which I wouldn't place together, but... uh, all the W5 questions, how, where, when, why, like, how did you pull this off? Yeah, honestly, it was, uh, I, the credit's not all on me. Um, it was a group effort. The, the, a lot of the how, the why, it's, it's, you know, who I am, what I represent in the game, my experience of, you know, playing hockey, getting the chance to play for the Maple Leafs, working now for the Maple Leafs. Um, I'm the one who got to do it, but there's a lot of people like me, like us in our community, um, who are just as passionate about the sport and the team and the franchise 
they just didn't get to perhaps get involved in the way I did. Um, you know, being able to, to meet with Adrian, founder of Two Black Guys, uh, in the last couple of years, um, I'm, I'm into fashion, I'm into expression, you know, being a little bit of different, not having to conform. And he and I connected and aligned on that. And understanding like his fandom and how he, you know, grew up admiring Sittler, but never had the opportunity to like jump into the game the way I did. Um, you know, having a brand like Mitchell and Ness, being able to, you know, bring a little bit of that street and urban vibe to hockey in the first place. Um, these are things that I would have represented all throughout my journey, but maybe not always been able to like be in the locker room or within some hockey spaces. And I think this is not only a celebration of, of black excellence, it's a, celebrate of, a celebration of black presence and fandom and, and uh, participation in the sport of hockey and in the society here in Toronto. You talked about expression and not conforming. Uh, two things that historically haven't gone well with hockey. The collaboration of really culture, hockey culture and hip-hop culture, black culture. Why is that important via a collab like the one that you've done? It's important. I mean, you know, a lot of ways black culture drives and helps influence pop culture in very significant ways. That's undeniable. Um, I feel like, you know, sitting in a locker room throughout my career, I'd, I'd I wasn't identifying it then, but I can think back to it now where there's probably just these moments where I'm like keeping it to myself and thinking, man, it'd be a little bit cooler or better if we could do this or if this was happening right now or if I was able to like exercise that. And now I'm in that position where I'm able to. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't mean you're pushing something else out. It just means you're creating space to bring something new in. And to be frank, it's new to the space, but it's not new to us. It's not new to our experience. It's not new to our community being a part of the fabric of the sport for 130 plus years. The fact that I might be represented, others like me might be represented in small, minute ways still, speaks to that journey. And that's also how we're tying, trying to tie it into this. What I get to do is expand people's perspectives and try to break down bias in the game of hockey. And one way you can connect to new community and let them feel seen in a brand is also through fashion retail that's what we're doing here culturally you know in the barbershop we often have debates and people may not realize that historically some of those debates would be about hockey yep. uh, so the fact that we're in a barbershop celebrating this collab is one uh, in Toronto the conversation was always the favorite maple leaf in that barbershop and it would be whichever maple leaf was the black guy at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, fair. for you to bring together all those black alumni different eras of people that were champions for our community. What was that like? That was, that was a really proud moment for me in, in this entire um, process is because there's other guys in that group that I, I never had the chance to meet. A lot of us hadn't met Grant Fuhr, but we each had a Grant Fuhr story. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's, like you, you threw me that puck one time or you signed it, I stuffed for a picture. That was really special. And, and prior to getting on the set that day when we first were all together, uh, you know, to do the photo shoot, and, and film some content for this. Um, I want. I said, let's get together first. Let's have a dinner. You know, hockey guys love to get together for dinner. Um, but let's, you know, kind of build some of that team chem before we actually get in front of the camera. The stories were amazing. It didn't matter the complexities and and the harshness, perhaps, of the different generations. Kind of like softened as it got from like an older to, to my generation. But they're all the same experiences. Whether it's from like being in the locker room the fun we had with our guys, with our teammates, the brotherhood, um, to the difficulty we had navigating the space. 
all of it from an empathy, from an experience. It was, what it was for me is, and in, in our community, it's hard sometimes to explain when you're always the only one in the room. But when you can meet someone and instantaneously you recognize that you know each other on a level that like just no one else does, and we just met, you know, that's, you get that a lot within sport, within hockey, you know, hockey guys, hockey bros, we connect pretty quickly. But this was like that other layer where all my other hockey friends have never like connected with me on this because, you know, our experiences have been different. In this case, it was a group that we were the bro- we, we, we realized we're the brotherhood within the brotherhood for what it means to be a Maple Leaf alumni. And it was really special. You mentioned everyone has a Grant Fuhrer story. I'll give you mine. My dad literally would use Fuhrer as an example, seeing that guy, he's black. If he can do that, you can do anything. I thought he was lying to me because Grant Fuhrer was wearing a mask. I was like, there's yeah. no way that guy is actually yeah. black. But I, I got the message. Mm-hmm. So many kids of our generation, black kids in this city, went on to be great players. Absolutely. More so than really any, anywhere, else. anywhere else in the world. What do you think it is about this city that's produced so many great black players, the vast majority of the ones that we've had? I kind of look at it two things. For one, you know, Toronto's, it's, and many call it the mecca of hockey. You know, race aside, it probably produces the most, and in its history, it's probably produced the most NHLers, period. And Toronto's also the most diverse city in the world. These diverse communities have lived here coexisted here, grown up together in a real positive way that we as a nation and as a city want to celebrate multiculturalism and diversity and just, you know, we can exist amongst each other and be different. That's always been in this city. The hockey portion's always been in the city. The, the black experience in hockey and the success in hockey has always been in the city. It's just not always been seen. We see it to your point where, like, there's, who's your new favorite black player on the Maple Leafs, you know? That's what I'm going to cheer for. And it's hard to get to that level, a pro where you're maybe being able to see it. But it's been in the youth hockey rings for a long time. It's been in community programs for a long time. It's been in schoolyards and on driveways and the streets for a long time. Not all of us get the chance, small percentage of anyone who gets to make it. Um, so I think that's kind of like how this is, has meshed for me. It's, this is, Toronto's always been diverse. It's always been a hockey town. Everyone, Perhaps if you don't have our perspective, our experience, you just don't know that we've been around it and at an elite level for so long. That logo and that crest, it's really safeguarded in terms of what it means and what you can do with it. The fact that there's a bunch of small little twos on it, that if you know, you know, that it's black on black, that's, that's serious. How difficult was it to have the ability to take that logo, those words, and do what you've done with it? To be honest, it, um, I won't say it was easy, but it, uh, to be frank, like in this particular one, there's always, you know, navigating, you know, because it's such a partnership, you know, league, all-star, team, brand. There's a lot of different IP being shared. Honestly, because of the work that I believe myself and being able to do it within the organization and with the Maple Leafs and my, you know, management, from our GM and our president with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Shani's been supportive. It wasn't actually the difficulty you might assume. We've already been working alongside of each other because we got to do this collaboratively. They need to be able to hear from me and hear a new diverse perspective and others like me 
who have been in this space who can show them this isn't a risk. This is safe, this is friendly, but it's actually gonna speak to them. People might ask why we're doing this. The why is because there's a 10 or 12 year old us who haven't seen what, you've see, what you're saying, the grand fear thing. We haven't seen it yet, or they didn't know that we actually are present this type of way. The two black guys brand, like I've had people reaching out who are with black folk within the organization be like, I used to have a two black shirt when I was growing up, like, you know, from like late 90s, like as if this is happening. It means something to us. Representation can be seen not only from a person standing in a role or on the ice in a position, it can also be seen in a brand. It can also be seen on a shirt. Um, the Leafs get that. You know, and you still got to be able to, it's very collaborative. This is not a me thing, this is an us thing. Um, so the port, to be honest, the support was there. I love to see the amount of collabs we're seeing within the sport. I never thought I'd see Mario Lemieux wear an OVO out. <laughs> uh, the Drew House collab is obviously strong. But this one specifically, whether it's two black guys in the Maple Leafs, whether it's hockey throwbacks with Mitchell and Ness, when people see that, whether they're black or otherwise, what do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel? What's that association you want to have when people see the gear? I want people to, I want people to be able to see themselves in the Maple Leafs brand. Um, you know, in this particular one, obviously we're celebrating and we're doing it alongside of a black-owned business and a black brand and two black guys. But it's also not just for a black community. Like this is, you know, Adrian from Two Black Guys has, has been high level creative directors for OVO, for Canada Goose, for Roots. You know, he was designing clothes for Roots when Brandon Shannon was playing for Team Canada, Olympic team, rocking it. You know, like I want people to be able from different communities and who have that expression. Hockey, again, is, there's, there's this culture of, I've gone through it where you're expected to conform. And being disciplined and, you know, one for all, all for one is very much, that makes sense. But the conformity, we don't all have to be the same. This is an expression, this, you know, so again, some people might not understand it, but for a lot of us, we get it now because for the first time we can walk by a rack and maybe say, wait, I want to rock that. That's a Leafs thing? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what we're trying to create here. Um, you don't always have to be the one way. You can have these different collabs, you can have these different integrations, and you can do it through style because how, so it's an easy way to express and connect with people and take your product of hockey and on ice, like, you know, fandom and success and that energy and bring it into our daily lives. Certainly I can see myself in it. I'm only vexed because I want to see my youths in it and I don't have to convince them that there's a black guy on the Leafs, but I want them to be fly when they're watching the Leafs. So uh, next time we need some toddler sizes, but uh, <laughs> let's, let's walk before we run. Congrats, man. Much needed um, and much appreciated. Uh, thank you. Really appreciate it for this moment, Donovan. We heard from Mark. Thanks so much for everything that he does and for taking the time. And he, you heard him mention an Adrian in that conversation. That Adrian is Adrian Atchison most known for being the founder and creative director of Two Black Guys, the brand that, again, was so iconic. Mary J. Blige was wearing it in video shoots back in the day. And now we see it beside a Toronto Maple Leaf logo. Now, Adrian's career has taken him all over the place. He was designing Roots gear and was one of the visionaries for 
the Olympic gear that Team Canada was wearing when he was with Roots. He certainly has had an imprint on the style of brands like OVO and Canada Goose, just to name a few. But I wanted to talk to him about two black guys, what it meant to him back in the day and what it means now and what it can mean for the way people appreciate, view, and relate to the hockey world specifically, that Maple Leaf Crest. So let's listen to and learn from the creative director of Two Black Guys, Adrian Aitchinson. Well, first and foremost, congratulations. Well, thank you. I I never thought I'd see two black guys on team apparel, never mind Maple Leaf apparel. Yeah. Did you? No, (laughs) not when I was... uh, you know, a little kid in Scarborough, um, you know, watching uh, Hockey Night um, in Canada on Saturday nights. There's no way I saw this in, uh, in my future for sure. Why is it important? And, and what were you intentional about in terms of the design language of what you've created? I think for us, what was important that was that we represent as much as we possibly could in the product that we're making the uh, what these eight black alumni players would have had to go through in order to make it um, to that to play at that level. So you know we know what it takes. Um, you know when you're in a room, you know how you have to move and how you have to change how you move in order to you know make sure you can uh, continue to stay in that room. But to take that to the level of the NHL uh, when you're a player in that environment, and we knew what that environment was. Like we grew up in that environment. You know me and my brother were. Uh, the only two black kids in our school. So we know what it means to be othered. We know what it means, um, you know, to have to make a decision about, you know, do I fight back every time or do I fit in? Um, So taking it, um, what those players would have had to go through in order to to get to that level, we wanted to make sure we could represent that in the clothing and and be unapologetic about um, our representation of you know of them in this uh, in this collection. So, quite as kept, it's not just two black guys. Number two, it's two black. T O O. Right. Hockey historically has been seen to be too white. Right. Too white for some black people. The, right. The fact that you are changing what hockey looks like and feels like is that something that you're cognizant of? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's a lofty goal to say that we're changing the way hockey looks and feels, but I think what we wanted to do, or what we had the opportunity to do, uh, you know, through our work with, uh, with Mark and with the Leafs uh, head office, who was, you know, very supportive about this, you know, this collaboration and throughout this process, was, you know, maybe in a little way contribute to expanding the tent just a little bit, you know, just, um, you know, maybe broaden the umbrella just a little bit. So we're not pushing anyone out. We're just making it a little bit broader and, and speaking in an authentic way to a community that probably hasn't felt like they've been spoken to before. Whether it was you know, back in the 90s and Mary J. Blige rocking it, which is a cosign, right. or more recently as everything from the 90s comes back, right. Drake, you know, co-signing it. Right. Um, there's a, a value to that, but there's a value to your brand co-signing all things hockey and all things Leafs. What do you think the tangible impact will be in terms of people saying, oh, I appreciate two black guys and thus I'm actually interested in, in this collab? 
Well, I, we're hoping that we brought something to the collaboration as well in that way. We're hoping that you know, our work with the Leafs, and we agreed to do this because we felt comfortable that they would allow us to do what it is that we did. Um, you know, they could have chosen a lot of other brands and they didn't, knowing that what our brand represented and how we spoke. Um, so um, I think it's, it was important for us to come in in the way that we've always sort of represented ourselves. And in doing so, I think that, um, you know, we brought something to the table that maybe a lot of other brands couldn't have. Fashion is somewhat cyclical as it comes yep. back and brands come back, styles come back, throwbacks come sure. back, but also fashion is progressive and it pushes the envelope. In terms of what you're doing, not just with this collab, but in the fashion world in general, how do you balance you know, those two things? Well, I think for us, uh, we don't really think about trend so much because you're right, uh, fashion cyclical, there's trends that come, trends that go. Um, for us, we have a point of view. Um, you know, we try to represent our point of view. We try to represent uh, even more so for our community. Like we want to make sure that everything that we do makes our community feel proud um, and it helps them feel good about supporting us and, and, and being a part of this club that we're all working to build. So, um, you know, we look, we take inspiration from the past. We take inspiration from all the things that are part of our culture um, and part of our experience. And we try to, um, we, we put it all in a blender and we come up with something that we, we hope speaks to, uh, speaks authentically to the people who we're, we're, we're talking about and talking, you know, taking things from. Certainly the, a brand that the community has been proud of for a long time, uh, proud to represent, proud of what it stands for. Um, so love the fact that in a loud, proud way, uh, you're giving us another reason to recycle the black dollar and support. So thank you for everything you do. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks so much to Adrian. Really appreciate it. And again, the drop is selling so quick. So make sure you get some. But don't worry. There's going to be a second drop of this capsule, the No Apologies capsule, coming out later in the month in February. So stay tuned to make sure you get some for yourself because it's fire, but it also has a really important message. And at the end of the day, you get to support a black business, which is always of chief importance. Stay tuned. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you. Now we've got a bit of a break. There's a lull without, you know, as many games coming fast and furious. And so if you are itching to get your hockey fix, I got you. I got something for you. There's an Amazon original hockey documentary that's out. You can see it via Prime Video Canada called Chosen One, Alexander Digg. Now, he's someone who people assumed was going to be an all-star for a decade, but careers change and, and paths are varied in how we define what success looks like and what winning is really and truly might need to change. It's something that, quite frankly, I start to think about because it's explored so well in his documentary, Chosen One, Alexander Daig. Remember, he was selected first overall in the 1993 NHL draft. He was a teenage hockey phenom at the time. He was basically anointed as the savior of the Ottawa Senators, and quite frankly, the Ottawa Senators still need some help and some saving, but 
you know, decades later, he was able to reflect back on his career on and off the ice with some distance from it, some perspective that I thought was really, really invaluable for me because we are somewhat binary in terms of how we discern what a positive relationship with the game of hockey and what sport more broadly is. So I wanted to talk to Alex about his career and this project. Why did he decide to open up some old wounds and talk about his career? And is the projection of him being a bust that some other people may have, does that sit with him in the same way? Let's listen to and learn from Alexander Daig himself, the star of the new Amazon original hockey doc, Chosen One. In Canada, hockey is like a religion. Hockey was the only focus, the only thing I wanted to do. There are no holes in Alexander Daig's game. People truly believed that Alex was the next coming. The first pick, Alexander Daig. They were expecting him to be some kind of savior. A lot of good athletes have the ability not to get distracted. Alex did not have the ability not to get distracted. It goes so quick that it becomes a blur. This was the worst team in hockey. Alex became the scapegoat. When he got too hard for him, you look away. Is your social life a bit of a distraction? He's never going to meet the fans' expectations. The knock on Alex was that he didn't love the game enough to ever be the best that he could be. I never recaptured the edge I had, and when you lose that edge, you're done. Maybe there's more to it. Congrats on the doc. It was a riveting, entertaining, funny watch. Watching it, I was thinking how differently maybe your story would be if you were coming out now and not back then. For you, when you reflect on how things have changed, what comes to mind? Exactly that. <laughs> right guy, wrong time. <laughs> um, yeah. I was, I had a lot of apprehension, you know, going into this process when they called me and they said they, they were doing it with prime and i said oh, okay okay might as well you know be on, on the dock to really you know to answer those questions but going through because you know the clips you saw they sat they sat me in and i was looking at this ah geez man i was sweating it out but after that i realized i said i'm looking at a kid who's 18 years old no clue just out of high school and putting into on unrealistic expectation type mode and and i just want to have a good time so it was um so it really it made me pause and just say hey relax man not that bad so but yeah in a sense i was uh maybe 20 25 years too early i wonder why you did say yes you were and are enjoying your life out of the spotlight you've contributed to the game why did you allow them to tell your story Three reasons. Uh, first, um, just to tell my side on whatever they, they're gonna they're gonna do, what type of, of, of duck they're gonna do. That's one thing. The second thing was my kids. They don't know really who I am, what type of career I had. I had them, uh, two of them in uh, in Switzerland. We came back here with another one, so they never saw me play. So at least they're gonna end. The internet was non-existent at that time, so now if you they're on TikTok and Instagram, they don't see me. So I said, I'm going to treat them. Uh, and the rest was from my parents as well. Like my, my dad was, uh, he died last 
March. So, you know, he had like a little run of six months before. And so we had an interview and spent some time talking about my career, my life. And that's some things that, you know, when you're a dad, you don't really talk to your kids about. So I thought that was a great opportunity for him. But for myself, I knew he was going to pass away at brain cancer. So you knew, I don't know when that's going to be done, but that was the great opportunity. And for him, he really opened up and it was, it brought some amazing memories for him. And another thing that I thought from my dad uh, and my parents, my, my mom as well, is that people always said that they pushed me and it's totally far from the truth and I really want to set that record straight and for them it was a big thing um, because my dad never never played hockey like he never coached he was just a super happy dude person dad that never said anything negative to me ever and it was like geez no this guy doesn't deserve this like he and he was super sad I stopped for two years in the middle of my career and think about it you're in Canada you go back to work and that's the only thing you talk in Canada. It's about the hockey game, right? And now you're a kid that was the first overall, retired 25. And that's the only thing you hear for two years. It was just a really, really, really tough time for my dad. So those are the three reasons. When you say don't deserve this, I was watching, thinking that about you dealing with us, the media. Like some of the questions, I was just cringing. When you look back and see how you know you were treated and portrayed by the media, um, maybe what lessons could we learn from how we dealt with you? I think we got to cut slacks to 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kid. Um, they they don't know. Like they arrive in a situation. I don't know now if they have like media training and all this, but they're not going to be successful in the first two three years. That's Maybe some, like one out of 10, you know, out of 10 years, like you're going to have a McDavid once in a while and a Crosby, but the majority, they're going to be struggling the first years. And, and it's not because it's not a willingness to be better. It's just that at the end of the day, you come to, you go to a back club. If you play on the first or second line, you're going to play against the best, best players on the other teams. You don't know the league. You don't know where you fit. That's another thing that I, I don't know if I talk about in the in doc, I don't remember, but it's, You've been scoring all your life. You're in the NHL. Doesn't mean you're going to be a high scoring. Like those guys in the NHL, they've been the best as well when they get drafted and they're good. So you got to know where you fit and change your game accordingly. And you need maturity to do that. And you need the right coaching staff around you and the right agent because, and the right, the right everything, because it's a tough change to do come from a first-line guy that you think all your life you're going to be to a second or a third. You know, it's three, four minutes a game time, uh, 80 games. And, you know, and maybe it's less time, but you're going to play against this third sets of defensemen. You're going to give more opportunity. So there's a lot of that thing, the maturity of a player, you got to cut some slacks to those guys. So we were learning your point of view, but Doc is not just you. Others are speaking as well. Did you learn anything or find anything interesting from what you heard people say about the journey that you had? They always pin the, yes, I did. And that was a, a little bit of eye-opener. You always think like the big bad wolf is the owner and the players are like the rebellious. But the owner makes a pick and... 30 years ago, it was, it was different because the set of rules were different as far as 
um, uh, helping the players and everything. Now it, it grew into, you know, you get the nutritionists, you get the trainers, you get uh, the sports psychologists. That's all part of that NHL, NHLPA, because they want to make sure that they're going to give a lot of money to the kids and they're really happy to do it because they're going to sell tickets. So they want to make sure that that kid is going to be the best he could be. And that's what I learned. I always look at those guys because I came my second year, it was the lockout. And it was all negative about the players wanting too much money. And there was, I think the, the um, I think it was 1989 or 90 that uh, they divulged all the salaries. That changed everything. Like for that, Lindros came in. I came in two years later and the lockout. And I was pinned and we missed half a year. And it was always that all. And I think you can never win against the owner in a sense that those guys made their money somewhere else. They can last a year or two without playing hockey. And guys don't get that. Like the best deals we have is the deal we make today. <laughs> That's pretty much because you're going to lose a year of your career. You can never replace the average. When I was playing, it was 4.5 years of career. You take a year out of that. It's a year of earning, a year of you don't know what's going to happen. So it's for me, that was the big thing. Those are partners and you got to treat them like partners. And but I'm 48. So and and I don't have the NHLPA talking to me at that time and saying those are the bad wolves. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. And lastly, how do now that you've gone through this process, how do you feel about it? How do you look back at that time? What emotions do you have about your place in the game and, and how have others felt um, now that we've been able to chronicle uh, your career and your influence? Yeah. Um, I feel, you know, for sure I would have liked to be the best player in the league. Everybody wants that when they're young. When I arrived in the league, I had some other issues and it didn't happen the way it happened. Um, but hockey gave me a lot of good things. And that's one thing I, I just don't want to, I didn't want to sound like I was bitching and not happy. It's like, geez, man, hockey gave me everything. It's just that that part of my life uh, and that part of that process was tough. Yeah, it was. But at the same time, there's 90 other things I can tell you that was amazing. And I had a great life and I still having a great life. And it's like, hopefully I can help one guy or two guys and my story is going to it's going to be not just he's a bust, because if you look at all the first draft pick overall, I don't think I'm a bust. If you look at, you know, at large. So relax. Like there's there's other component of that old story. And if that's my little thing in the bucket, it is great. Well, it came across. You were vulnerable, truthful, grateful, and certainly shows that you're you're winning in the game of life. So not just in hockey, outside of hockey. I think people are going to learn a lot and appreciate your story. Career is yeah. very short. So the long run, people yeah. don't think of that. You know, they think, okay, uh, that guy will be done at 30. No, no, no. But geez, man, he's got still another 35, 40, 50 years ahead of him. And, and, you know, we're so quick to judge somebody over a period of four, five, six, seven years. And that's that's not that's not what life is all about. No, you showed us that, and you showed us you still have the same uh, iconic and signature laugh. So good to see you smiling <laughs> and laughing. 
Thanks for taking the time. All right. Anytime. Good luck with your show. Thanks so much to Alexander for taking the time and shout out to the entire crew behind it. Directed by Jay Nelson, executive producers, Steve Mayer, Ross Bernard, Craig Axelrod, you know, the whole NHL productions group. So make sure you spend some time to find it. Uh, It is worth the watch. Evidently, you've made it this far. You felt this was worth the listen. Thank you so much. Feel free to like, favorite, share, and subscribe. We've got great content coming up for you in the next couple weeks. Talk to you then. Thank you.